Let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So our scripture reading uh, this morning continues with our study of the book of Matthew. We're still in chapter 1. Chapter 1, starting at verse 18 through 25. I put it on the front of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. And once again, I highlighted the words you're supposed to pay attention to. Okay? So Matthew 1, starting at verse 18, 1, excuse me, 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So clearly his name is supposed to be Jesus, or Emmanuel. Did you catch that? There are two competing ideas about what this baby's name is supposed to be. Uh, Again, we start the passage with the same thing that happened earlier in Matthew. Matthew writes, this is the story of Jesus, the Messiah. Then he gets up to the part where it's Joseph interacts with an angel. And note, once again, Joseph is who? The son of David. That was last week's thing, son of David. But Joseph, the son of David, is told to name him Jesus. Because Jesus means he will save people, right? That's kind of the, the root of Jesus' name is Savior. And of course, at the very end, Joseph does exactly that. He marries Mary, and then he names the baby when he's born, Jesus. But in the middle, we get the prophet Isaiah, who says, This child shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. He gets actually named Jesus, but Matthew sees fit to also include the other name, Emmanuel, in this particular story. You know, it's almost like there's a pattern again. Remember last week when I said that the pattern in the genealogies, that first section of chapter 1, which is all about the generations of Jesus, 14 generations from Abraham to David, David, 14 generations to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations from the Babylonian exile, to Jesus himself. That's the genealogy that it begins with. Remember the pattern there was David, David, David. 
Matthew was making a big point of starting his gospel by saying, look, the Jewish community who's going to be reading this text, who wants to understand who Jesus is, will be comparing him to King David. So the big pattern at the beginning is, look, Jesus is in line with King David. David, David, David. But then there was another part of the pattern. And the other part of the pattern was the names that you would think were irrelevant. The women, four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. And so the pattern was you know, the dominant story, which is David, 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 and then these little moments of the downbeat where it goes David, 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 Tamar, David, 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 Rahab, David, 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 Ruth, David, 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 Bathsheba. And the rest of chapter 1 just continues with that pattern, except now we transition. It will go, Joseph, 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 Mary. Jesus, 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 Emmanuel. And if you remember what I said about uh, those, those patterns was, yeah, there's a, there's a significance to the major pattern. But you know that if you're writing something in a pattern, eventually people are going to sort of start ignoring the pattern. It's just going to become white noise background sounds. And the thing that you actually have to pay attention to, the meaning of it that keeps you connected, is that downbeat. So David, 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 pay attention to the women. Joseph, 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 pay attention to Mary. Jesus, 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 or in other words, Savior, 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 Attention to the downbeat, Emmanuel, God is with us. When Matthew writes his gospel and he continues with this pattern, there's a, there's a big theme and there's a smaller theme. Realize that they are two very different functions about who Jesus is as he gets going into the actual narrative of the story. Saving the world is different than being with the world. They're both really important. On on Palm Sunday, the people cried out to God, Hosanna, when we take communion today. It's part of the liturgy. Hosanna, and it means save us. Jesus' name and its root was a salvation name, save us. But salvation, and here's the question, for what? A Davidic line at the beginning of Matthew. David, David, David. For what? Joseph, 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 the son of David. For what? Savior, Savior, Savior. For what? And it's in the downbeat you get the meaning, right? It's for God being with us. It's for union. It's for the purpose of having a relationship for eternity. Salvation for what? I don't think I have to kind of explain the significance of the word with, do I? After five months of living in quarantine and social distancing, don't you have yet another lesson in life what it's like to not be with those you want to be with and what the consequences are of not being with them? Isn't there like an emptiness to living? Excuse me, isn't there an emptiness to life if your living does not include other people? I don't think I have to like belabor that point. We are built and born and created for relationship, including with God. 
So when Jesus said, or when Matthew says, Jesus, 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 he's saying, yes, of course, the big pattern is salvation. But for what? To be with God. A couple of things that came to my mind that connected to this idea was when I read our prayer confession this morning, at least the part where I quoted Jesus, if your salt's not salty, it's worth nothing. Right? It's the same idea. You can have salt, but what's it for? And it's not doing its job. It's not doing anything that you should care about. David, 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 the women. Joseph, 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 Mary, salvation, salvation, salvation. God with us. Salt that still needs a reason. It's saltiness. Another thing that came to my mind that I I think is really worth sharing to kind of understand where this ends up is Ruth. So like I said last week, in one of those downbeats was the character of Ruth. And here's the deal with the character of Ruth. So remember, there are uh, three versions of 14 generations in the genealogy. Remember? Abraham to David, David to Babylonian exile, Babylonian exile to Jesus. The book of Ruth, where we find out who Ruth is and her whole entire story, you know, in in those three sections of 14, where that story got written down? It's in the last one. It was between the Babylonian exile and Jesus himself is when the book of Ruth got written. But the story of Ruth is way back in the first 14 generations, right? She's like the grandmother, a great-grandmother of King David. Why, between the Babylonian exile and Jesus, did they finally write down the story of their ancient ancestor, Ruth, who up until that point they didn't think ever needed to have her story written down. Here's what we know about that time. There's two other books in the Bible that were absolutely written during the time of that last 14 generations, and they're about those last 14 generations. It's called Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay? Find them way at the end of the Bible. Ezra and Nehemiah were the leaders of the Jewish people. Now, if you don't remember what the Babylonian exile is, here's how this all starts. Jerusalem had fallen to the Babylonians. And there is a group of people from the tribe of Judah who get taken as slaves to Babylon. And after several hundred years, when Babylon is conquered by Persia, Persians let them go home. In the time that they were away in Babylon, this is really where the word Jew emerges, because they're all from the tribe of Judah. So they start to identify as Jews for the first time. And you know what salt does? One of the reasons salt is salty? It's a preservative. And so the Jewish salt in Babylon was Here's the project, guys. We need to stick together. We need a group identity like we've never had before. We're slaves in a foreign land, and if we ever get home, we've got to write down our stories. We've got to make sure our children know it. We need to make sure that this is who we are. We need to purify ourselves 
into being Jews. And good for them because salt is salty. The whole reason we still know about anything about the Jewish culture, the reason we still have the Bible, is because they decided to do that. But here is the problem. They came home and they kept this story going of Ezra and Nehemiah became the leaders and they said, okay, we need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We need to rebuild the temple. You guys need to get on this project with us. You need to identify purely and solely as Jews and you need to put every last bit of energy you can into rebuilding our nation state. They rallied every single person to that identity and held them to it. The consequence was this. They weren't the only ones who lived there. They were the ones who got taken over to Babylon, but guess what? There was a whole remnant who were left living there. They were Israelites too. They were part of that Judean culture. They were God's children. And then here comes this new group called the Jews who come back and say, this is ours. And you can join us, but you got to get on board with their Jewish project. you got to join our purity culture because we need everybody on board with this. And this group of people, this remnant who had lived there the whole time, they had a very different several hundred years. They had interacted with other cultures. They had married, intermarried with other peoples. And so these Jews come back, and they're like, all or nothing, huh? You're either, we're either with you or we're against you. And we either do things, like Ezra and Nehemiah said, Ezra and Nehemiah said this, you have to divorce your foreign wives. Divorce them. Get rid of them. They're not Jewish. And this group of people said, absolutely not. Who said you get to define what it is to be a child of God? And you know where they came from? The little settlement they lived in? Samaria. So when you get to the New Testament and you watch Jesus interact with Samaritans, this is what he's dealing with. It's his own ancestors, but the ones who got left behind and decided they weren't going to play the game of the purity culture of the Jews. The hatred the Jews had for the Samaritans, the reason Jesus could tell parables like the good Samaritan was because of this tension between them. Emmanuel, the Savior who is also Emmanuel, what did he tell us about Samaritans? Did he maintain the purity culture that said, well, they're not with us, so they're against us? Or did he try and welcome them back in? Emmanuel. God is with us. The importance of being with. So, back to Ruth, though. So Ruth is a story that gets written down during Ezra and Nehemiah's time. Why? Because Ruth, even as an ancestor of David, is not Jewish. Somebody saw fit to write down the story during Ezra and Nehemiah's time about an incredibly virtuous, faithful woman who was not Jewish, but dedicated her life to taking care of her Jewish mother-in-law after their husbands had died. 
And the story of Ruth is about Ruth taking care of Naomi, going back to Israel, finding out that Israel, that land Ezra and Nehemiah was trying to rebuild, they were very good at keeping the law. But they kind of had forgotten the spirit of the law, which is take care of the widows, the orphans, and the strangers. So there's Naomi. She's a widow, and she's living in abject poverty along with Ruth. Ruth is a stranger in the land and a widow, and she's living in abject poverty in the land. They are gleaning the fields, coming behind, just kind of picking up the scraps of the agricultural community. That is how they're surviving. And where the story ends up is Ruth does what she has to do to survive, but eventually she ends up marrying a man named Boaz. Boaz is very clearly a Jew who very clearly follows the law, but he's the one righteous character besides Ruth and Naomi who understands that salt has to be salty. And salt is not just a preservative. Salt is also enhancing the flavor by adding something different. It's Boaz who recognizes that at the heart of the law is taking care of widows, orphans, and strangers, and so he marries Ruth. And they together, Boaz and Ruth, become the ancestors of King David. Does it make sense then why and where it got written down? There is this pattern in Ezra and Nehemiah. Purity, purity, purity. And whether it's the one who wrote Ruth or it's Jesus who's coming after him, they go, don't forget the downbeat. Because we have a God who saves, preserves. We also have a God who does it for those who would otherwise be left behind. For the Tamars and the Rahabs and the Bathshebas and the Ruths and the young women who should be stoned to death for being pregnant before they're married and for the Samaritans and every other person Jesus comes along and cares about that does not fit into that big beat. He says, but the salvation is for them. It is so that I can be with all of you. Savior, 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 Emmanuel. Jesus is both of those things. He has both jobs to do in this story as Messiah, to save and to gather. Sometimes very much in conflict with his own people who think those people don't belong here. The application, I think, is, is clear enough, although it's always challenging. Where in your life are you, Ezra and Nehemiah? With, with faithfulness, where are you trying to preserve some big idea, some big valuable thing about the way the world works? That doesn't have to be bad, but you've got to make sure you don't miss the downbeat of it. Who are you throwing away 
because you're defending that big thing. You may think the world is supposed to exist a certain way. People are supposed to act a certain way. But as one of my favorite movie quotes goes, I guess that would mean all the tattooed, gum-chewing freaks are out. Who are your tattooed, gum-chewing freaks that are out? And currently, in this moment, it's maybe hard to hear, but cancel culture. This idea that people make mistakes. Yes, they make mistakes. But the idea that the right response is to throw them out into the utter darkness. Does that sound like Jesus? No matter how awful they are, no matter what they say that drives you absolutely batty, no matter how bad you think they are. Salvation is for what? Emmanuel, God with us. No matter what big idea you think you have that is worth creating a purity culture in the world for, God is saying, your big idea is not as big as me. You need to expand. And you need to make sure you do not miss the downbeat. Let us pray. Oh God, please be with us. Be with us and be our Emmanuel. Gather us in as your people. Help us to understand that life is living when we are with you and with each other. Help us to be salt that is salty. Help us not to oversalt the dish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, since it is sort of a Christmas story this morning, I thought our transition between the sermon and communion should be a Christmas song, and it's my favorite one. So, come thou long-expected Jesus. Jesus.